I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mark McBride. And this is a podcast about that time we made up two whole new styles of yo-yo play. And at the time, nobody cared. And now, a few people care, maybe. So we got my origin story. We got your origin story. So now everybody knows how we got started, right? Yeah. Um, now I was thinking at one point I was, you know, I was trying to be all anal retentive about this and I'm like, oh, we should, you know, what's like the next thing that happened to us? But I think it's more interesting for us to just jump around and oh, yeah. like, we've got a huge list of stuff that we want to cover and talk about. Let's just jump to whatever kind of leaps out at us and the last thing that you and i were talking about was the trip to the philippines that resulted in the duncan philippines dvd indeed indeed the that was second part of something which oh yeah but well second half of the viking tour we did those two tours back to back but yeah the philippines dvd and it was interesting because i just rewatched it uh, recently with jenny my wife who is filipina and both of her parents emigrated here from the Philippines. But so for, it was interesting for her watching it uh, for the first time with me because, you know, there was a lot of stuff where she was, you know, we're, you know, typical like white guys in the Philippines, right? We're like, you know, shooting like B-roll of like Jeepneys and Jollibee and like all this stuff. And, um, and it, you know, for us, you know, we have the nostalgia of the trip. For her, it was like a completely different sense of nostalgia. Um now, it's worth noting, though, for a lot of people that may not know their history, the significance of the Philippines is that that's where yo-yos came to America from and arguably right. the world. So Uncle Steve's happy, fun history corner here. Um, so in 1928, uh, I believe it was 1928, uh, Pedro Flores kind of first got started with the Flores Yo-Yo Company, Pedro being a Filipino immigrant living in Santa Barbara, California. And he started up the Flores Yo-Yo Company, and that was technically the first mass-produced yo-yo in the United States, I believe. It was also the first yo-yo to have a slip string around the axle, which allowed the yo-yo to sleep. So we can thank a Filipino immigrant for the fact that yo-yos spin at the end of the string, which means we can thank the Philippines for every fucking yo-yo trick that exists. And that so there's constantly the all the rumored history of yo-yos that we will get to in this episode because it is it plays into a, at least one of my quests when we were in the Philippines. But there's all these uh, like ancient history type stuff that you come up with about yo-yos, where they came from, what they were, but all of it is barely, you know, it's, it's, it's barely identical, like uh, confirmable, except Pedro Flores. That's right. where yo-yo history starts functionally. Yeah. I mean, there are like, there are patents going back to like the, I think the 1800s, maybe even 1700s. Um, you know, of all the people like Tom Van Den Elzen. the 1700s? Tom Van Den Elzen, uh, the guy who, who ended up, who bought Playmax from Don Duncan Jr. 
Um, and you know, he's the guy who kind of built up, you know, their, that whole company during like the yo-yo boom, he was like really, really huge into patent research. Um, so I know that at one point he published like a book with like a whole bunch of old yo-yo patents and there's definitely stuff from the 1800s. I can't remember if there was stuff from the 1700s or not, but like there are like United States patents that, that go back like really, really far. Um, so there's so a real quick fun like a bridge from our last episodes that with the Van Den Elsens is that yeah. Tom Van Den Elsen had ta- like uh, Donald Duncan Jr. left yeah. Duncan Yo-Yos, right. starts his own company Playmax, and at some point, and we should we should have uh, full episodes about some of this stuff. I think at some point where yeah. uh, Hans Van Den Elsen, his son convinces him to convinces Tom Vandenelsen to swoop in and save Donald Duncan Jr. Right. So at, at this time, yeah, like when that happened, Hans was, uh, was a yo-yo player who was getting into becoming a yo-yo performer. And this was, he was wearing like the knickers and like the 1920s, like newsboy cap and the suspenders and like that whole, like he was whole shtick. Yeah. The whole shtick. I mean, he was, he was like a young Dale Meyerberg at that point. Plus (laughs) knickers which is a fucking amazing look. Like I, I, it's hard to find pictures of him from that time period, but it's so fucking worth digging for them. Cause it's hilarious. The thing that I love though, is when I moved from Tallahassee to Los Angeles, um, I went through Arizona. I went through yeah. like where the, the headquarters was and it was the, um, and they had the Duncan family, collection museum there right yeah i remember that and so i had the they had the duncan family collection because they yanked it from the national yo-yo museum (laughs) in chico which was like huge drama at the time too like they recalled the entire and they they basically were like send us all our shit back and then it all ended up back there they had it on display and then me and a bunch of other collectors at the time sent just boxes and boxes of vintage stuff to like replenish the museum collection in chico oh my gosh and so yo yo drama oh and i did i did not know as much as i do now and so i roll in there on this like cross-country road trip that i'm on yeah. And, and somehow I roll, I get the address. I somehow got the address for Playmax. I roll in there and I go, Hey, I'm just some yo-yo guy from Florida. I just want to see the things in the collections. And the so they go, the owner's son's here. And I go, really? And Hans walks out. I think that Hans is Donald Duncan Jr.'s son. I don't <laughs> I don't know about Tom Van and Elson, any of this oh, stuff. Oh man! And you know, and Hans was great. And and in retrospect, looking back, I like if this was a movie and a supernatural, like if this was a supernatural, like Harry Potter Avengers movie kind of thing. Right. There was a point where I shook Hans's hand, and I just had. The, and years later, I was laughing about the fact that I was like, if I could have had that moment where you shake someone's hand and you see all the shit that's going that's gonna to happen in like oh a big flash God. of just like, you know, the psychedelic 2001 moment where he's like, whoa. Oh, man. 
Yeah, so much insane interpersonal drama there. Anyway, we're getting off of yes. Oh, so Philippines, Philippines history, Philippines, yes, Philippines and history. So there's Philippines is the source of history. Yeah, I mean, basically, like Philippines and and Pedro Flores are the reason that yo-yos spin at the end of the string. They are the reason for literally every single fucking aspect of modern yo-yoing. So we owe the Philippines a huge debt. And for those of us who got into yo-yoing, eh, I would say especially like early on, right? So like those of us who got in like at or before the 90s boom hit, that mythology was like we weren't far off from it. You know what I mean? Like there was still like, you know, we were hanging out with Dale Oliver and we were hanging out with like all these guys who were demonstrators in the 50s who worked with Pedro during like the second run of the Flores Yo-Yo Company. So like we were only really one degree removed from that original dude. So that that sense of history was still really close. So we had a lot of questions about it. And it was something that was talked about fairly often. So it was um it was like real mythology for us, you know. It was it was it was approachable. It was close enough that we felt like we could get a grip on it. And and yet at the same time, we knew tantalizingly little. And there was the overhanging amazing myth, which is yo-yos were weapons before oh. they were toys. Yeah, they were weapons, all right. It was just something that was specifically designed to be a pain in my ass. <laughs> I mean, that was literally, that's as weaponized as yo-yos have ever been, is that myth coming up to bite me in the ass like every single fucking demo I did. Everyone. So, Everyone, dude. Every single, I mean, I would be in like a Walmart in Nebraska and some asshole would come up to me and be like, you know, those were originally weapons, right? Like without fail. And, and yeah, there was always a suspicion where like I bought into it early because nobody told me like otherwise I heard the, you know, the myth when I was however young too yeah. and rolled with it. But there's always that side of me, which I went, the physics just don't make sense because whatever goes out is going to come back at you. So I always, it always bugged me, but we heard it all the time and everyone would want to tell you as a yo-yo demonstrator, you know, those were weapons. Yeah. So, so here's the thing about that is like, that was, it was one of those things that bugged the shit out of me. And then I started getting like little glimpses of like old Duncan yo-yo company history. So, okay. Back to the history part of this. So, uh, in 1931, 32, I think is when, uh, Don Duncan senior bought the Flores yo-yo company and turned it into the Duncan toy company. So that was when Duncan Yo-Yos began. Um, I'm probably getting these dates wrong. And like, I know for a fact that, you know, like Lucky and some of these other guys are going to be listening to this episode later and they're going to be fucking cringing and foaming oh, at the mouth. If Hans happens to listen to this episode right now, his head is blowing up because he is, turns out he's an amazing history buff. Oh, he really is. Yeah, he is. He knows this. Sh I mean, like Hans is Amazing. one of those guys who can rattle off patent dates for you. So like he, he has newspaper that. clippings. He has yeah. talked to he has talked to Pedro Flores's like number one man's daughter in law that's still alive today. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm yeah. not exaggerating. So, okay, so early 30s, let's just, there we go. Let's just make it like kind of intentionally vague. Early 30s, uh, Duncan Toy Company is started. 
And what happens, and so this is something that I've been able to piece together. So uh, the early Dunkin' Yo-Yo company, there was a marketing guy named Tom Ives. And I'm going to go ahead on record right now and say, fuck you, Tom Ives, you (laughs) son of a bitch. So Tom Ives was looking around and realized that most of their demonstrators were Filipino immigrants. And so he decided that in order to make the yo-yo seem more exotic and interesting, he was going to play into this. Tom fucking Ives is the reason he is the asshole who created the myth of the yo-yo as a Filipino hunting weapon. This no good cracker son of a bitch basically weaponized a vague sense of American racism to sell fucking yo-yos. Hold on. You told me once that the story of it being being a weapon could be traced back to Donald Duncan senior drunk at a bar being hounded by reporters and him dismissively being like, it was a weapon. To get him to go no, away. No, that was a joke that we were saying. We were like, how funny would it be if it turned out that this whole thing <laughs> was just like, was like some, it wasn't Don Duncan Sr. We were talking about it being like Dale. Like, how funny would it be if it was like, you know, one of these old demonstrators was just sitting at a bar trying to get wasted because, and, you know, sidebar, all the old yo yo demonstrators from the 50s were like raging alcoholics and like street fighters. Like, these guys were brawlers. But yeah, that was the running joke is we were like, how funny would it be if it turned out that it was like just some guy was like, yeah, leave me a fucking load. You know, no, we I think story. We're, like, I don't know. It was a fucking weapon. Get out of here. I think we're just I think we're I think we're tapping into a strong dynamic uh, that's that we're going to see recurring through our through your my history. Steve was wait, was that a joke or was that real? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, Most shit. That was a joke for years. Yeah. I've been citing that as an actual fact. <laughs> But so, so the, and there's actually, so there's, um, one of the, this is a cool piece of history. I saw like, you know, those embossing like notary stamps for paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw one that somebody had, it may have been at the national museum in Chico. It may have actually been Hans who had it. Um, but it was Duncan Russell Ives. And that was the original name of, um, one of the incorporated parts of the company. And it Hmm. was Donald Duncan senior, Jack Russell, and Tom Ives. So Tom Ives was like a huge part of the original Dunkin' Yo-Yo company. He was like the main marketing guy and he's the no good son of a bitch that made up that myth to sell more yo-yos because he knew as soon as it hit the newspapers and then all these Filipino guys showed up to demonstrate yo-yos that dumbass white America would absolutely fucking believe that. And now it's wow. in fucking textbooks. Like Dude, it's, it's no, it's ridiculous. more than the textbooks. It will, yeah, we'll we'll get to that because that became the thing that when we were going to go to the Philippines, and I was being sent with a camera to the Philippines to make this DVD to make it. We we're going to make a tour video because right. we were like, hey, it turns out that turns out that videos on things happening, people like to learn and see. Well, and uh, don't forget too that there there hadn't been a national yo-yo contest in the Philippines like since the 60s. So this was like the first one in forever. So we wanted to document that as well. Yeah, I was all about like maybe we could fucking put that myth to rest. We're going yeah. we're going to the homeland, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so 2004. Okay, so that was so at this point we are easily six years into being professional demonstrators like i had 
become a professional demonstrator, stopped becoming a professional demonstrator and gone back to a real job and you were still like corporate, you had moved to Ohio. Right. So I had gone from working for Lofty Pursuits, working for Greg to uh, I spent like a year and change working for a company called Team Losi. And then I moved on to working for Duncan Toys. So we were both fairly experienced demonstrators at this point. So we were past the whole like figuring out how this worked. And we were well on to abandoning our duties in search of good stories. I was working at a record label. Oh, you were you were working at Kung Fu Records. I was at Kung Fu Records. Things like they had a change of management, it, and the it, it, it no longer was the great job that it was. Right. And so I basically called up Steve Brown and said, "Steve, we we got I got to get out of here. Let's go yeah. on tour." And there was a talk. <laughs> And you were looking for more videography work specifically. Like, yes, you could be there as a demonstrator, but, um, you know, you were actively, you were trying to build your reel at the time because you were looking to get into more film industry work. Because I had gotten away from it, you know, I had gotten away from it. So I said, look, that is what I can do. Let's get back to doing that. And the pitch was you and I had come up with the idea that was it Cathay Pacific Airlines had some deal where you could get a, like a, a, an unlimited around the world ticket. Might have been an urban legend. I don't know if we ever actually connected on it. We were going to do a world tour video because videos were cool and nobody had done that yet. And we had thrown that and I tried, we tried to get corporate to sign off on that. Yeah, we tried to get corporate to sign off on it. Funny sidebar. This was also the early impetus of a later project that you and I shot a sizzle reel for that never got off the ground and it was the idea of you and i traveling around the world and oh, uh man. trying we were going to try and uh like after we were kind of like over the hill as yo-yo players we were going to travel around the world and hold fake national contests in countries with no not national fake. contest not fake not because... fake sorry <laughs> We were going to hold official national yo-yo contests in countries that didn't currently have one just so that we could win it. And we were going to see how many national titles it would take for us to finally get like uh, entry into finals for the world yo-yo contest. And now you help run the world yo-yo contest. <laughs> and now I help run the world yo-yo contest. So really oh. I could just like, I could just totally slide us in and be like, fuck it. I'm making this happen. So we were trying to float this idea to Duncan of buying us like these open-ended plane tickets that we had like heard rumors about. And the idea is that like you, me, and maybe like one other person, we're just going to go and like travel the world, hunting down yo-yo players all over the place, filming every bit of it, and then, you know, see what we could get off of it. And it sounded like a great idea to the people who weren't going to pay for it, which is us. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me give a little little sage advice to all the kids out there. Most shit in the world and wonderful careers happen when you convince somebody with money that your dream is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is it was exactly the right kind of bullshit for us to try and pitch to the people with the pocketbooks. Um, but the fact that they said no was also not surprising at all. Not at all. But they didn't really say no completely. They said, eh, they didn't. And and what ended up coming out of that is that then we started pitching like more focused international trips. Yeah. Um, because the thing is, is at the time, Duncan uh, 
Duncan was trying to get a lot more international distribution to directly compete with Playmax, who had very much locked down like everything outside of the US. So with things like the Philippines, the Philippines DVD happened partly because we were able to get distribution in the Philippines. So there were like we were able to stack multiple reasons for us to be there. We were there for the first national contest since the sixties. We were there, like I was doing meetings with the distributor. I was also doing like, you know, promotional appearances in various places to help promote like the new, you know, Duncan yo-yos being available in the Philippines. And we were filming this content that then we'd be able to monetize later as a commercial DVD release. So like once we were able to start like stacking these things up, then it, you know, we were able to start getting like budget and approval and that's how we got the Philippines. That's how we got the, um, Viking tour DVD. That's how yeah. you guys ended up doing the samurai tour after I left Duncan. But like, that's how all of those DVDs kind of came to be as it was out of this initial idea of us just traveling around and being like roaming yo-yo players. And then we were able to kind of refine that down. How much time that we have between Viking and Philippines? Cause it was it, like- it, it wasn't much because uh, it was I like mean, a week. Two, like 2004 was, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, like that was like my last year with Duncan. Yeah, no, they so. were. They it was it was. I, I think that we booked them back to back. Like I think that we went to the Viking, as I remember it, came back just long enough to like shake the jet lag and then hopped on a plane to the Philippines. Yeah, I mean that sounds. I mean when I was when I was working for Duncan, like it was not at all uncommon for me to do like Melbourne Toy Fair in Australia, shoot to the Philippines for a couple of meetings, shoot to Japan for Japan Nationals, uh, back to the Philippines for some demos, and then home. And then they would expect me in the office like nine a.m. on Monday morning. So yeah. like I'm. If you remember us booking these things like back to back with like a week in between, that sounds pretty. That sounds Far, pretty, yeah. un- pretty likely. How did we get there? I don't even like now. Like it's now 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 it's just a a, a fog of. And then we were in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, I mean that it's it's so funny looking back at this stuff because you remember like the you remember the boldest parts, you remember the broadest strokes, but like the mundane things of like, I don't remember flying to the Philippines. I don't remember flying to Australia. I don't remember flying to Japan. I don't remember, you know, these were like 20 hour flights and stuff. And I remember nothing of the travel, but I remember like, I remember landing in the Manila international airport for the first time and coming off of the plane and, and just being like, Holy shit. The Philippines, not this trip, but a prior trip, was yeah. the first time I'd ever been in a, you know, a like quote unquote third world country. I did not understand until that moment the actual gap between like have and have not. No way. What was that like? It was it was really I was really unhappy um about like I, after that very first trip, we went, I went to the, the Duncan flew me out to meet with like this new distributor, Banky Trading. And um, they were trying to, they were bringing in Duncan to actively compete with like the Magic Yo-Yo, not Magic Yo-Yo, uh, yeah. Hyper. No, what was it? It was Smarty and. It was Smarty and it was Super Yo, Super Yo-Yo. Okay. That's what it was. It was Super Yo-Yo. Cause, and it was like a rebranded version of the anime. Yeah. Um, so Strangely like, enough, this is all covered 
in the DVD. It is. It is covered <laughs> in the DVD. But what's not covered in the DVD is the very first time I went, uh, I met met with the distributor before they'd even brought product in. And, you know, they set up some demos for me and I was like hanging out with the local players and stuff. And when I got home, I tried to convince Duncan to drop the whole thing. No way. Yeah. Um, because it was horrifying to me that we were trying to sell yo-yos to kids who couldn't afford shoes. Uh, like I had that massive, massive wave of culture shock where, I mean, yeah, there are people in the Philippines who can afford this kind of frivolous bullshit, but um, there's a more that can't. And yeah. the first, you know, when I was like, you know, they were like, Hey, you know, come out of the hotel and, and, you know, take a left and go down a couple blocks and we'll meet you at like this, coffee shop or whatever and then we'll we'll go for the day and when i would step out of my gigantic air-conditioned gilded fucking holiday in manila and then there's like a family of 12 living under a fucking overpass like 10 feet from the entrance of this hotel like i was stepping out into that every day and walking through that every day and then trying to sell fucking 20 dollars yo-yos to kids and there was something about that whole thing that was just so disgusting to me. And I was, I was fucking shook. I was really like, like I said, this was my first time experiencing this. And like, I grew up poor and I grew up broke, but I didn't grow up like 10 of us living under a fucking tree. You know yeah, what I Jacksonville, mean? Like, Jacksonville broke is different than Manila broke. Yeah. Very, very different. And so like, I mean, I was, I mean, like this really, this rattled me to my core. Like I, I suddenly realized like I'm very small and I don't understand the world. And wow. I went back to the office and I tried to talk them out of it. Wow. Um, and uh, I mean, in retrospect, like that was definitely some like knee jerk white savior bullshit on my part, but it was like, I mean, I was, I was distressed. I was really fucked up by that whole first trip. You know, I made some amazing friends and I really fell in love with the Philippines, but I was also just like, I don't understand how you go into a place like this and try and sell like luxury toy items. Like this is really the, di I could not get my head around the dichotomy of it. And, and all of our like marketing past that, like I was, I remained really, really uncomfortable with it. Wow, that's interesting. Because when we went there, you had definitely been there before. Because you knew, you knew that you knew at least some of the guys. Yeah, I knew Edmund and um, Edmund and Mimi and Jay and Chris Makita. Um, those were the guys that we had kind of, you know, words like our initial like Duncan Crew Philippines. Yeah, I can't remember if I met. I think I met. Ernest for the first time on one of the earlier trips. Ernest Khan, who's now on the Caribou team. Nice. Um, but like he was like, you know, just this tiny little kid. And like what was I can't remember if it was the the DVD trip or if it was a prior one, but I would come downstairs in the morning and he would just be hanging out in the lobby waiting for me to appear. <laughs> and then he would just follow me around all fucking day long. So the thing about Ernest Khan that I the very tiny, very tiny story that I always remember about him later. So the thing that's interesting about Ernest is that completely anglo looking like like he he's he's very fair-skinned yeah very fair-skinned no accent speaks like total english and afterwards he um he moved to the states great guy oh man this this will surely be another episode uh in the future where we were doing um 
after the Billy was classic, the BLC a few years, we did like a late night rock and roll show that we called the pocket circus. Mm-hmm. And at some point I was doing a routine, which I'll, and I'm literally wearing fishnets and like little panties, much like Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror is one of the joke bits. Well, nice. skits that we were doing. Do we have photos of this that we can put up in like in the show notes or something afterwards? Oh, or? we'll find some, we'll, we'll find some photos, surely. Nice. And nice. so, and again, this is a rock and roll show. It's all fun. It's rock and roll comedy. You know, we've got these great skits and I get down and, and Ernest was one of the yo-yo guys that had come out to show. He's just like, so uh, looking pretty. And I remember this, like, again, here's a guy with no accent. You would never know that he was not from Sacramento. Right. And he right. just like, but he, but he said, you looked very comfortable in those. Uh... <laughs> I was like, how do you comfortable in, 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 in those, in those stockings? Wait, what? Wait, what? what the, <laughs> the only oh, thing that gave him away, the only thing that gave him away that he was, that, that, again, that you, you would be like, oh, it's, it's earnest, obviously, but like comfortable. God, that's amazing. I love, there is nothing in this world that I love more than like meeting people from other countries who speak perfect fluent English, but, but they put the accent on the wrong parts of the words. Like, like go to Singapore. It's amazing. Everyone there literally speaks better English than most Americans, you know, but the inflection on the words is closer to Mandarin. So like, it's, it's, I mean, their grammar is impeccable, but the intonation on the words is just a little off and That's it's great. amazing. It is, it is like the most, it is like listening to fucking music. It is so beautiful. I love it. So, you know what I love going back to English is so Edmund, Edmund San Antonio was our, yeah. was our point man. He was our handler. He was, yeah. he was our, he, he was, was our guy. He was the guy captain. in the Philippines. Yeah. Spoke great English. And he said that he learned speaking English in the Philippines because they had so many different dialects and like sub languages of Tagalog that he had, like when he started doing all of his demonstrating and yo-yo work in the provinces, that English Mm -hmm. was the common language. And that's actually how he got all of his practice and like learned his English was that was the pan Filipino language, which I was just very surprised by. One of the things that I've, I've come to learn from being married to a Filipino woman is that like one of the, one of the primary exports from the Philippines is doctors and nurses to America. And it's really, really common for people to go to med school with the express goal of moving to America and getting a job in the healthcare industry. There is a metric fuck ton of Filipino nurses in the United States. Sure just an insane quantity. Um, and it's because it's a really, it's a stable, really good paying job. Um, and it's a great way for you to get here immediately have work and then not only be able to support yourself, but be able to send money home and afford to like, you know, save up enough money to bring your family to the U S with you. So, I mean, that's like a, uh, it's not, it's weird, but it's not surprising to me that so many people there would would speak English, you know, because they are they're doing that with the express goal of eventually moving here. So we showed up, and they we had about a, sh- a short week before the contest at the end of the week. So we yeah, had about- it was very fast. Like the timeline for all of this was real short. And so we had some demonstrations. We got to meet with 
the head of indigenous games and activities. And that was the guy who we were going that I, we got introduced to him early in the week. And I just was like, this is the guy that's going to be able to tell us if fucking yo-yos were weapons or not. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He was, it was the, it was like an indigenous games society and like their express goal was to preserve the history of like actual indigenous Filipino games and toys and martial arts and, you know, like different, like all kinds of different like skills that were indigenous to the area because the Philippines as a country had been conquered and like uh, uh, occupied multiple times. Um, so there, there was kind of like a, like a forced melting pot kind of action. It got all this shit from these other cultures, but they were trying really hard to also preserve like what had come before. So we were running around doing some demos. They were drumming business. Like they were drumming the contest. They would be at the, um, the big mall on the the last Saturday that we were there. And it was a huge, it was like a huge, gorgeous, like, mall with like all kinds of like luxury stores and again to the whole like you know divide between have and have nots in the philippines like i was still a heavy smoker at the time and so i would disappear frequently to run outside and smoke a cigarette and um there was you know a shit ton of like poor ass kids that they wouldn't let in the mall because they didn't have like shoes they were just like wow. running around in like shorts. Right? Wow. There's, you know, there's, there was broke ass kids that were, you know, kind of running around in that part of town, but like they wouldn't let them in the mall because they didn't want a bunch of kids with no shirts, no shoes running around in the mall. Wow. So I would, I would go outside on my smoke breaks and I'm sure this was driving you and everybody else nuts that I was disappearing so frequently throughout the day. But part of what I was doing is um, I was, I was going out there and then I was doing little shows on the sidewalk for all the kids that couldn't come in. No way. Yeah. And like giving out and I was, I was totally like, you know, we had brought like a ton of yo-yos to promo and like giveaway and prizes and all this stuff and all, and everything that I could possibly skim off of that. I was filling my pockets with and giving away to these kids on the street. <laughs> if only that, that's the, here's the thing. The director in me goes, motherfucker, you're supposed to tell me that that would have been actual good fucking footage it would have been great footage but i also would have gotten in so much fucking trouble for it so i was just like i'm just gonna do this i'm just gonna quietly do this and uh yeah the whole fate of that dvd was that we went there to do this kind of pseudo documentary and really be kind of a player thing and be uh, again kind of a skate video exciting type thing ended up really just with a bunch of talking heads yeah it was not like, so like the, like you go back and you look at the Viking tour DVD and that's like a, an extended skate video. You look at the Philippines DVD and it's mostly a documentary. And also it appears there was a yo-yo contest in there somewhere. You want to know why? Did we not get any good footage from the contest? No, we shot this whole thing and we got back and then it was pointed out that we do not have any rights and thus cannot use any music that was shot in any demos okay so here's a reveal man we should save this for the end but i'll blow i'll blow it now on the dvd all of the all of the freestyles for all of the winners yeah if you watch the if you watch the dvd again it's talking heads and then we have this long section where like almost like in one shot we show all like all of the like first second third place like first place second place third place being revealed kind of thing right if you hit the remote it jumps to Easter eggs of all of their freestyles. 
there's more Easter egg footage on that DVD than actual footage. Oh, shit. I <laughs> because we weren't, about legally, that. we weren't legally allowed to do it. So Duncan was like, you can't do it. I was like, fuck. But I, I put it all. The, so I was just like, you know what? These kids, man. It's all Easter egg footage. It's all Easter egg footage. We hit it. We, we did it anyway, which is totally illegal, uh, except that there's no DVDs left. Now it just exists as, you know, on YouTube with none of the Easter eggs except the Balut at the end. They put that on? Yeah. And, and rewatching that, I felt bad because to me, it felt like uh, shitty white dude food shaming. Balut is a snack food in in the Philippines that is basically like an un what is it like an unfertilized duck it embryo? Is a fertilized, it's a, a fertilized, fertilized egg. Fertilized duck embryo. So basically, it's like a dead chick in an egg. Hard and boiled. You, hard yeah, hard boiled, and you crack it open and salt it, and you just eat this fucking dead duck embryo and it is it doesn't look like you should do that no it it really it looks like something from like late 80s early 90s like (sighs) screaming mad george nightmare on elm street like weird kind of like practical horror movie effect kind of thing i mean it's a perfectly egg-shaped baby duck that you just salt and like bite into it is not pretty. It's not pretty. So we should, but we're jumping ahead, man. We got it. Like, so what, what did we do when we got there? Cause like I said, that was the last day that was after the contest. Yeah. That was that the we, last day that was after the contest. So the, I mean, when we first got there, like, I mean, we were just, we were running around and we were trying to set up all of the interviews that we needed to schedule because we yeah. part of you know, like part of the deal is that Ingsoc was going to give us, you know, all of this like interview time and everything in exchange for us giving them stage time at the contest. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a fun thing that's on the DVD is that you see bits and pieces of like different like there's like tinickling on there and there's like, you know, these like kind of stick fighting and like there's all this like very like indigenous like Filipino what, games. What, 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 to nickeling? So you've got like the two poles on the ground. It's kind of like double dutch, but with poles instead oh, of Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, my daughter, my my younger daughter, uh, Flora, is actually learning to nickeling right now to do a performance at our local Filipino cultural center. Wow. Uh, so that was kind of like a funny, like full circle to like see this old footage. And then, you know, an hour and a half later, my mother-in-law shows up to teach my daughter how to do it. <laughs> I just loved the head of uh, the the head of indigenous games, like this, like 50, 60 something, like 60 something year old guy. Yeah. He's you an know, older kid. And he just, and he was the number one guy in the martial arts demos that he was all about like the stick fighting demos that just getting up there. And I think that he got his, his, his staff, like his interns to be his, to take the classes with him because they were like they were just dragged up there to show off how to beat somebody with a stick. And it was this old man front and center showing you showing you the moves. Yeah, he was a badass too, man. He was yeah. uh, he was not he was not pulling punches. The things that I remember of that we did we popped in, we did the different interviews, we did some media. They actually pulled me in front of the camera a couple times. Yeah, like and but really that whole week was a bit of a fog. I mean, it was a, we didn't have enough time. 
honestly. It was one of those things that I think, especially because, you know, we were like back to back with like another trip. Um, we just didn't have a lot of time. And so like what, what realistically should have been like a two or three week shoot at the minimum, like we did in like nine days. Oh, we weren't there nine days. We were there like less than a week. It was like, well, maybe a week. I think we went like Monday to Sunday kind of thing. No, it was a little longer than that. We were there for like, we were there for like, I mean, we were there at least a week and then like a couple of days. I remember though that we were, you and some of I that did. was, some of that was travel time. Cause then that's the other thing to remember is that if you're, if you're trying to get anywhere in the Philippines, don't fucking make any plans, pal, because you're going to be in traffic for like six hours. There was a point where you decreed that we were all going to go out for massages and we ended up at a massive spa. Now I, when you said we're going out for massages in the Philippines, I immediately was. I know you were not thinking. Yeah, you were not thinking massage. I was thinking a massage. I was like, "This is going to be amazing." <laughs> like, you know how expensive a massage is at home? It's going to be like nickels here. Like, fuck this. Let's do it. Let's get them every day. You were like, well, "Don't worry, it'll be cheap." And I'm just like, you were telling me that we're going to go out for cheap massages in the Philippines. Like, I know. Now, in <laughs> retrospect, in retrospect, you were probably you were significantly more correct about how that could turn out. <laughs> but somehow you guys found a place that looked like it, it looked like a gym. It was like giant with beautiful glass and plants and stuff like that. How did you even find that? Like, how did, how did we get there? I mean, it was all Edmund. It was literally me just being like, this is what I need. And he was like, I'll find it. And like, he was just, I mean, he was the best man. Yeah, he that, was. That, dude is, that dude is awesome. I keep saying was like, I just haven't talked to him in a while. Like he's not dead or anything. He's still kicking around. I just haven't talked to Edmund in a while. He's uh, he is not past tense just as a clarification there. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and that was, you know, we did a lot of, we partied hard on a lot of those tours. Um, you know, we did like, we were out, we were hitting the bars every night. Like, I mean, you know, I was drinking the beers, you were drinking your grapefruit juice. Like we were, <laughs> we were doing karaoke. There was that, that was the thing, the karaoke. How, how the hell is karaoke? That was something that I learned about the Philippines. Turns out the karaoke was venerated in the Philippines. Yeah. I don't know. National pastime or something. I don't know. But like one of my, the, so, uh, Jack Rinka, uh, who, you know, is from Jacksonville. So like he and I were, you know, friends like through high school and stuff. His, he's half Filipino. His dad is the Filipino half. And I remember going over to his house, like in high school and his dad busting out his little karaoke machine. And his dad had like the thickest, gnarliest, like, fresh off the boat, like burly fucking Filipino accent. And then he could sing Beatles songs and sound exactly like John Lennon, like <laughs> dead ass, like to the point where like, if you were not in the same room, you thought his dad was just listening to records. And then you walk in and you're like, son of a bitch. How is that voice coming out of your fucking mouth? <laughs> Amazing. Oh and, and I saw that and we saw that all over the Philippines. And it was just one of those things where it was like, not only were they, you know, not only were these people like great singers, but they were 
dead ass perfect impersonating the full voices of the singers that whose songs that they were singing it was incredible so i remember when we were going to we decided to take the gang out and go to a filipino strip club yes and as we were walking there that i remember just walking by like a row of bar type like with just you could see the karaoke coming out of the windows and just in like the lights and every just the level that they took it to which is really hilarious because coming from america the strip clubs were a big to do and right. karaoke was this like little thing in the corner and there was the opposite the karaoke was amazing you went to the strip club and it was just like eh, the girls mm. like would walk up and down and it was you know, and then like it was four guys sitting there. Incredibly lackluster and uninteresting. So what we didn't understand is that uh so in the US, the whole point of the strip club is the strip club. In at least the place that we went to in Manila, the strip club was essentially just a front for the brothel. Well, no, I would say it this way. The fact that the the strip clubs are lackluster because exactly that in the states it's like a it's a faux brothel it's where you want like you can't really go to a brothel but there you just go to the brothel so right which <laughs> we did not we did not understand that until it was too late <laughs> so there was the night that you that we go we're going to the strip club we got to go to a strip club in manila and we roll right. in there and I feel and, like and I, I feel like we need to clarify also that like literally and 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 I know that this sounds implausible, but this is actually the way that we thought at the time. None of us really gave a shit about strippers. This was one hundred percent the kind of stuff that we did because we were like, I'm almost positive we'll get a good story out of this. And we <laughs> did. Like we would we did the <laughs> Dumbest, most ridiculous shit just because we're like, I'm positive we're going to get a good. If we go oh, to a yeah. strip club in Manila, like literally just think about that sentence. Remember that time we went to a strip club yeah. in Manila? Nothing that happens. alone. Yeah. That Nothing alone. happens at the lobby of the hotel. Nothing <laughs> happens in the lobby of the hotel. So, so every time we were traveling, we would constantly like seek out, you know, like what's what are the weirdest situations we can put ourselves into and see if we can get a story out of this. So, and don't, so and it was also, but a lot of it also was in the other direction too, where I remember multiple cases and these will like multiple stories where, oh, the dumb Americans coming to town, but, but it's yo-yo guys. So we're all buddies. We're all friends. And you've yeah. got these, this good buddy and he's coming to town. They're just going to fuck with you. Yeah. Just, they just want to fuck with the with their buddy from out of town. Right. And so we go to the strip club and it's kind of lame. It is. Like it, and it was it's it was really kind of lame. Like we're sitting in like the big main area and there's like, you know, the walkways and these girls are like walking up and down these and I swear to god it looked more like a a shitty fashion show cuz they're just bored as hell, dead-eyed walking up and down this thing and we're like this is not spicy at all. 
Like Not this is all. ridiculous because we're expecting, I'm expecting again, we're in the, we're in like Southeast Asia where the, the, the laws are, there's no laws. It's donkey shows and crazy shit. You know? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, when am I going to get hit with a ping pong ball shot from somewhere inappropriate? <laughs> like what, you know, like that's, that's what we were aiming for. Right. We were like, what's, you know, let's something wild's going to happen. No, it was boring as hell. And so we're like, we're talking to our buddy that we were there with. And we're like, dude, this is fucking boring. And he's like, oh, well, you got to get a private room. And we're like, what? Okay. All right. Yeah, great. Let's do that. <laughs> if that's where it gets crazy. That's where it gets crazy. And again, like, you know, neither of us had any actual interest in like trying to hook up with a stripper in the Philippines. Like this no, was your not interest, what your we were there for. Be, your interest seemed to be to show off because I remember, I remember after this, after the, the massage probably you were like, I'm taking my boys out for a massage kind of thing. We're, we're, you know, right. Like this big spender. In retrospect, it was probably 40 bucks. You know? Right. So Steve was showed off. Steve's like, oh, I'm taking my boys to the private room of the strip club now. Yeah. I was like, dude, I'm on the Duncan expense account. Let's do this, man. <laughs> like, I'm going to be able to write this off as dinner for three people when I could take 20 to a strip club. Like, I mean, you know, like, great. So, now, hold so- on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for a second here and say to our friends, we are going to intentionally omit names and stuff, not because we've forgotten about you or don't love you, but if we some of these stories, if we haven't cleared with you, you may not want us to tell. So if you don't hear your name, it's not because we've forgotten and don't love you. We're trying to protect the innocent. <laughs> if you don't hear your name in one of these stories that you know damn good and well you were there, that is just us gifting you plausible deniability. So we get the we get the private room, and then what happens is when you get the private room, like several of the strippers like immediately are like, I'm gonna make some money off of these assholes. And so then they pile into the room with you. And they have this was the thing that blew me away, like just the weirdness of it was the parade that you were talking about, the fashion show catwalk that they do. When they're not doing that, they was sitting off on the side in a little glass room were with numbers on their bikinis where you would just be like, because it was a fucking brothel and we did not <laughs> understand that because we were morons and that's not what we were looking for. Like we in our head had the, uh, this idea of the way that American strip clubs work. You go in, there's girls dancing. They try and sell you on a lap dance. You pay $17 for a, a watered down well drink. And then, you know, you and your buddies fucking leave. Like, and then you go get breakfast somewhere. Like that's it. That's how it works in the U S we did not understand where we were or what we were doing. <laughs> So you say, we want a private room. We go upstairs and then they go like, what girls do you want? And so we all had to like walk over to the glass, the fishbowl fish and be like, number eight, number 12, whatever. And I remember just, yeah, be like, like telling, telling the, the, you know, mama son, just be like, I guess number seven, you know, like, or whatever. Okay. And then they, like, this is the, this is the point where the whole thing immediately turned gross. Right. So like, this is the point where we're like, yeah, you're in strip club. And then it's like, I'd like the number seven and the number 14, please. Like immediately just felt fucking disgusting. Like I'm pointing to a human being, referring to them by number and saying, come over here and lavish your attention on me. Like, just not like we, we immediately, like you could kind of feel us being like, how far are we going to take the joke tonight? 
you know? And so, but we did have to take it too far because this, they, they, they take us up to our, the, the private room and I'm using the air quotes type stuff. Yeah. It's just a fucking karaoke room. It's fucking it's, it's karaoke. hundred percent. It was, yeah, it was just a karaoke room. So we get, we basically just got our own karaoke booth. A couple of, couple of women in bikinis who were just like Americans. Let's see how much we can milk these dumbasses for. They, and I remember they give us the karaoke room. Yeah. These girls started on the karaoke. They're so fucking excited about the karaoke. Yeah. They did not give a shit. Like they, they, we roll up in there and they're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, they got like their arm around you. They got their arm around me. And, everything. and as soon as we get in, they got microphones in their hand and they're like, and uh, (laughs) immediately just launch into it and you and i i remember this moment where like the two girls are like belting out some like whitney houston shit you and i look at each other we're like that's the story we were looking for you know and then and And then then we start ordering drinks and then that's where everything ordering drinks yeah they started ordering trays came in oh my god this is where it all sideways every girl ordered a tray of drinks to the point where i thought that that was like the drink minimum i thought that they were like that was the getting a private room the way you paid for it was the tray like the tray of drinks and they were all the same drink like you said some like somebody said like one drink and you had a tray of them. I think I ordered a Sprite yeah. and there was seven Sprites. That's how yeah. I assume there was just like a seven drink minimum per person. I guess. I don't know. But like, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, let's get some drinks in here. And then like every available surface was covered in beverages. And it was just like, what the fuck? So I, of course, like start drinking because I'm like, yes, let's do this. You being the guy who doesn't drink and the sound mind and body guy are like, (laughs) I'm just going to casually sip this Sprite and see what kind of fucking dumb shittery happens in here. (laughs) And it did not take long for the dumb shittery to commence. We're in there with our friends. There is, I remember there being about, I remember there being like five, six of us. Then again, we're going to remove the names for plausible deniability. But there, you know, our buddies are there, and everyone- and I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely trying to do the big shot thing, right? I'm just like, oh. yeah, let's get more drinks, let's get more. I got it. Steve Don't worry, is trying guys. to be the big spender in the Philippines, <laughs> and like, just like, oh yeah, the cash conversion is wonderful. I am rolling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was such and an I, idiot. And we each have a like, basically, they just like plant a girl that's going to pretend to be your girlfriend for like a couple hours. Cause again, if you were actually like out there to get laid, you would have just gone up to the brothel. So this was the, right. I want to pretend like you like me mode. And so, and my, my girl, the girl that I had, she, she was, we're all, we're sitting there and again, we're, and she goes, guess how old I am. And I went, no. Oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> no! No, please don't oh, even. Oh no! Because- oh, I mean, I am. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I had, I was not like every so often she would like put her arm around me or put her like hand on my leg, and I would immediately be like, nope, yeah, we're not doing that. Like, I don't. <laughs> and so I got up and like stumbled down the hall to go to the bathroom, and she tried to follow me, and I was like. <laughs> 
straight up just like shoved her into like another room and then like went into the bathroom and shut the door. Like I was, I was not, I was not there to be touching on anybody. Yeah. And that was, so we were there again. Like what else were we doing? What else can we do? We sat there like these, you know, pretty ladies in bikinis sitting on our laps. And there wasn't even nudity in this place. There wasn't even nudity. I I saw, I, I did not see a nipple. Did not even yeah. see a bare breast, like nothing. It was just like, and again, we were just there for the story, so we were fine with that. So then, finally, like we hit the point where oh, I, like, I would have liked to see the nipple. I would have liked to see a little nudity. <laughs> All right, That's I mean, good. I'm down for the stories, but I mean, dude, beautiful women. It's still like, and they were, yeah. they were, they were good looking. Oh yeah, they were great, and they were fun to hang out with. Like they were, you know, they were funny. Like they were, it was a good time. But, you know, all good times must come to an end. And then they weren't okay with that. They were saying, hey, you you guys, we should go out for breakfast. We know a great place to go get breakfast. And, and at that point, you and I are like, no, nah, I think we're just going to, I think we're just going to bounce. Hey, breakfast. And I remember everybody coming to me with fucking puppy dog eyes being like, especially, especially one of our friends who was like, oh, can we? No. No strays. We are not taking anybody home. But here's the thing is that all sounded well and good until the check came. And that was when <laughs> that was when everything went fucking sideways. Because this point, things are closing down. They're like, the night is over. They're like Night is over. Closing down. Here's your bill. And they bring it in. And we're sitting there with like, you know like flashlights like trying to read this thing and trying to like we're, we're gonna like scratch paper and we're trying to do the conversion you were because at this point at this point steve is like the they're like oh yeah it's time to settle up and steve's like oh i got it come over here like ball baller steve like waves the waves the gentleman over to him with a piece of paper so the check comes i'm trying to figure out the conversion i finally do figure out the conversion and i'm like oh i'm gonna have to put it on my card and they're like no cards cash and i'm like i don't have that much cash on me and then a very large guy came into the room i was like oh oh what have i done and so the dude takes me by the arm forcefully because he now, is at this like, point at this point though let me pause because like i am dad at this point and so everyone was looking at me at puppy dog eyes our our friends are like still having fun i have again one guy's just love it he's just super happy that he's he's getting the attention and you kind of lean over and be like uh the big man says i have to go with him uh uh, uh the big man i, I got to deal with this and i went what yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah never never follow someone to a second location so so the dude takes me by the arm leads me outside and walks me down the street to an atm to pull cash out and they're like, and our friends are like so steve's goes is steve coming back like he'll be fine yeah yeah you're like oh yeah yeah it's totally it's totally fine so i i am drunk right (laughs) so i am drunk i'm walking down the street and i'm mentally and then this is pre-smartphones and this is easily this is easily four three four five in the morning like this is yeah yeah it is this is i am in no shape to be thinking right now and so what i'm doing is i've got this huge dude who has an arm and when i say he has his hand wrapped around my arm i mean it physically wrapped all the way around my arm with inches to spare like this dude is like the biggest man in the philippines he's the filipino hulk he's fucking enormous he could wreck so he's got his hand you know 
fully wrapped around one of my arms and is walking me down the street to this ATM. So while we're doing this, I'm like, how much money do I have in my checking account right now? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and, and I'm also mentally going, what is my pin number? I don't know. I don't know. Like I am filled with gin and tonic and have nothing else apparently in my head at that moment. So I'm like, des- I'm like, uh, four, uh, two, shit. So like, we're getting closer and closer to the ATM. I'm starting to sober up very quickly in the most. Because we, le- you left under the context, you left under the context of, uh. I got to go to the ATM and they said that there's a close one. So he's going to walk me to the ATM. Yeah. And you left. Yeah. (laughs) We have no idea how far this close ATM actually is. Right. So I'm, I'm walking down the street and I mean, it was probably like a block or something, but like, man, in my head, like that was the, you know, I was, I was like, dude, I mean, that was like full on death row March. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I was walking the green mile, like to my inevitable doom. And so we get to the ATM and I realized that I cannot remember my pin and have no concept of how much fucking money is in my check. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know what my I don't know what to do. So the only thing I can do at that point is I pull out the Duncan credit card that I had because for whatever reason I could remember the pin for that. And so I did a cash advance on a corporate credit card. <laughs> which which and let me just say I paid that back immediately upon returning home but I had to pull out like $600 as a cash advance on a corporate credit card no, to pay uh, off I mean it was terrifying No it was it wasn't $600 it was 600 like pesos No 600 pe- 600 pesos is like 55 cents. Like it was it it the this is the problem is that they screwed us. Like it was I don't think it was 600 bucks. I don't think you can get that out of an ATM at once. But it was no. somewhere around like 3 or 400 dollars. It was way more than it should have been because we were dumb drunk Americans. But there was and I don't remember the numbers, but no it it, it was several hundred dollars because it screwed me badly when I got home and then had to like reimburse Duncan for that out of my own pocket. And because by this point, the rest of us had been sitting there. They're starting our, our buddies are starting to look at us, and be like, is, "Is Steve coming back?" <laughs> and so we're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, let's come back." I think so. You come back, and they're like, "Steve's back, cool." And you're just like, "Yeah, see, yeah, this is you throwing your big money around. We're good, Mama Son's guys. We're out. Thanks, high five in the girls. You sure we can't come with you? No, kind of thing. And you and I are looking at each other like sweat on brow. <laughs> are, we, are we out of here yes and we're out of here and we're like in the end you're like i was like are we fucked and you're just like the conversion comes out to be like it's about 200 bucks <laughs> it was it was more than 200 it was it was probably closer to like three or four but it was still like we absolutely got i got screwed on that for sure so okay so here's the thing so i get the money i get the cash out of the atm and i like i pay the dude and then he just kind of looks at me and I've got like a few bills left and I just 
give him the rest of it. And he just tucks it in his pocket and walks me back. And like, by this point I was like very nearly sober. Like I had very quickly lost fully half of the alcohol in my system to just pure terror sweat. And so we get back and then, you know, of course, you know, everybody's like, all right, yeah, we're going out for breakfast. And what had seemed like a good idea before when I was very drunken in the moment, no longer seemed like a good idea. So this, this whole, like, let's go out for breakfast thing. While I will admit I was hungry as hell at that point. I, I wanted to be done with the women that we had met at this establishment. I have to admit, I, this is, this is the vague, like if one of our, if one of our buddies there said, no, we did go out to breakfast with those girls. I would believe that too, because I feel like I held the line for a while on like, we can't take strays home. The only thing that I remember after that is I remember us stopping at like a street cart and getting hot and semada, which are these like amazing Filipino rolls that have like butter and like sugar and melted cheese on top. Yeah. And it is like, it is the greatest drunk food ever because it's just hot, buttery deliciousness. But I, I distinctly remember being like, it, it's time for this to be fucking done. I need to get out of here because now I'm getting the terror. The next day was rough because like we got back to the hotel and then we basically had time to like shower, get some breakfast and then fucking start filming. No way. We really yeah. did that the night before the contest. We I don't think it was the night before the contest. I think it was the night before we were doing the interviews at Ingsoc. Okay. Sounds about right. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a super heavy day, but we should not, I, we should not have done that. I should not have been drinking for sure. Like for you, you were just like, well, I'm just tired and full of Sprite. You know, for me, I was like hung over. It was bad. So then we had the contest, which went fine. Like, I mean, you know, everyone did a good job. It was a great time. The contest went great. Um, Banky Trading did a really good, I mean, honestly, they did the bulk of the organizing. Like we were really there to kind of be like, oh, you know, here's like the scoring matrix and here's the this. And, you know, we provided some of like the general details of like, these are, you know, this is how you, you know, organize the divisions and whatnot. But they ran the actual event. Um, I think I judge. I think I was one of the judges. You were one of the judges. They had an MC that was terrible local guy. Yeah, just local guy who didn't know anything about yo-yoing or yo-yos and ignored all of the notes we gave him. <laughs> <laughs> like we gave him a bunch of notes on stuff, and he fucking ignored every bit of it. And just like was like, if it's funny if you go back and watch the DVD, you can absolutely tell that dude is just making shit up. <laughs> it's, it's and, great. I re- and i remember i think it was that night but it was definitely like if not that night then like one of our the last night after all those things we said and we'd been gone again by this point you and i've been on the road for weeks months kind of thing yeah. and i remember going like guys uh let's just watch a movie in the hotel room and so it was like the, the our usual gang we're like we're just gonna watch a movie on a laptop in a hotel room yeah let's just get some snacks and like relax and i went with and philip and edmund they're like oh yeah we could just go grab a movie from the black market across the street <laughs> 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 so you stayed oh. You stayed in the hotel room. I went across the street with with Philip Edmund. I think a couple, like maybe a couple of our other boys, and 
And yeah, it was like classic mall with all the movies that were still in the theater <laughs> on DVD. And they go, what do you want to watch? We're like, dodgeball. So we got fucking Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, dodgeball, which was still in the theaters at this point. I still have that DVD. I was wondering where the fuck that came from. I didn't realize that came from that trip. I still have that DVD and a stack of other like bad, shaky hand cam bootlegs. That was probably got (laughs) in that fucking mall. Yeah, they're in a case in the car that I I leave in the van because we've got like a DVD player in the van for the kids. And so there's like a handful of these movies like tucked away in like the very back of this DVD case. And I was wondering where that came from. (laughs) We got, we went there, we got, uh, you know, got snacks, just loaded up on snacks in dodgeball and came back. And that's when Philip, that's when Philip stopped at a street vendor to grab some balut. And we get back to the hotel and we're setting, you're setting up your laptop. And this is like a VCA encoded thing. So like the resolution was probably like, you know, 400 by 200 when all said and done oh yeah this is and, terrible and philip in his niceness wants to eat his balut but turns out the way that you eat the way that he eat, eats balut is like in a hard-boiled egg you know you you know you crack the shell and then salt and pepper the shit out of it and and he's like oh i don't want to spill it everywhere so i'll just go in the bathroom to contain the salt which will surely spill from this thing and and so he slips away in the bathroom and it's like it's like a fucking drug dealer at a party where like people are slipping away into do something in the bathroom and you go, what's he doing in the bathroom? And I go, I got some balloon from a street vendor. And you're like, balloon. I must witness this balloon. Yeah. <laughs> and you run in there with your camera. And I, to- I run in there and, and I immediately regretted it. That was the footage that showed up is that was the Easter egg footage of the video that's on the DVD video of you running around the corner to witness Philip eating the balloon and you go, ah! and he's oh, just sitting there man. with what he, you know, for him, it's just like, oh, it's just a snack. It's fine. Like what? And you're just like, ah! Yeah, it was, it's, uh, I don't know what I expected, but it was so much worse, so much worse. <laughs> and it like, it had this like kind of like pickled death sort of smell to it like oh man it was i don't even know how to describe it it's just it's one of those things that like i mean honestly i had the same response to that as i had to durian like it's just <laughs> one of those things where i was like who the fuck eats this and why durian Whoa. definitely showed up Dur- durian showed up in uh like misadventures by the time we got to malaysia and singapore i didn't yeah. do malaysia and singapore with you though that was after no. you had left yeah, that was uh, after I left. Stories for another time. Yeah. So yeah, so we got we got through the event, we got through all of the interviews and everything. Like, man, it was a it was a wild trip. Um, I definitely acted like a fucking idiot uh, for a solid chunk of that, but we got the footage we needed. The contest went off great. People had a really good time. And in the end, we did the vi- we got to ask the fucking head of Indigenous Games. In the Philippines, were yo-yos a weapon? And he goes, maybe. <laughs> that son of a- I know. That was the worst.
first. That was like, here we were. Finally, we were gonna like we're gonna quash this bullshit for fucking once and for all. Blah blah blah. You know what? I I need the definitive answer. Were was the yo-yo ever used as a weapon? And he's just like I don't know. Well, you know, our our history has been rewritten by all the different people that have conquered us at different times. So maybe. (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) Oh, God. I I remember being so pissed like that day. Like I remember just like watching that and watching that happen. And it was just like, oh, fuck, man. Are you kidding me? I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mark McBride. And this has been Yo-Yo Player, a podcast about the modern history of yo-yoing from two guys who helped make it. See you next time.